This is the FS Tech Podcast. Hello and welcome to the FS Tech Podcast. I'm the editor and your host, Peter Walker. And today we're talking about the opportunities and challenges facing chief information officers. Now, COVID-19 is the obvious cause for every CIO's increased workload this year, causing one of the largest surges in technology investment in history, with companies spending around $15 billion extra a week on tech. That's according to the latest research from Harvey Nash and KPMG, which is the the world's largest tech survey, um, analyzing responses from no more than, uh, sorry, from more than 4,200 IT leaders who preside over a combined spend of $250 billion. So today I'm joined by Steve Bates, who is a principal at KPMG in the US and a global leader of the firm's CIO Center of Excellence, so that we can pick through some of the findings to assess the biggest trends and the most likely future scenarios. So Steve, how are you? I'm well, thank you for having me today. Excellent. Well, look, to, to start off with, I'm interested in finding out what you thought was the most kind of interesting or, or surprising finding of the survey. Well, I, I think you highlighted one of the key points right out of the gate, which was this massive surge, really unprecedented in history, um, uh, into the IT budget. Uh, budgets had been rising uh, every year for the past several years. Uh, but this obviously was a, was a highly pl- unplanned for event. And as you said, we saw a surge that was annualized of almost 20% increase in, in CapEx and OpEx. So a run rate of about $15 billion a week for the, the first three months of the pandemic. So uh, that was uh, you know, a real eye-opener to, to what level there was an infusion, and uh, I think CIOs were in many cases given a blank checkbook uh, to do anything they could to, to stand up with the business, to, to shift customer and employee channels uh, practically overnight. And, and they did they did it in, in many ways, uh, what would have been thought impossible just a, a few months before uh, became reality. So I think that was one of the biggest uh, key findings that came out of it. I think the other part was that this divide between uh, digital leaders, you know, the digital haves versus the have-nots is growing. Uh, And again, it it was pretty clear on where the digital leaders were investing and creating separation and competitive advantage versus everyone else. Yeah, that's interesting. And I suppose uh, perhaps it's not surprising, but it's nonetheless worrying uh, the extent to which the kind of vastly expanded remote workforce is being targeted by hackers. So, so how are businesses coping with this kind of increased threat? Yeah, you're right. The, the threat landscapes and the, and the attack surface has just grown exponentially. You know, it, it, the, the kitchen table is now part of the, the attack surface. And I think if you look at the, the uh, types of attacks that are taking place, it's mostly malware and phishing attacks that are targeting uh, newly remote employees and all of the new cloud applications that they're using. Uh, and, and in short, I, I think you, you have to do two things uh, right away. The, the first is you need to continue to harden the perimeter, take a hard look 
at your access controls, use dual factor authentication to really move meaningfully across all of the different applications and pieces of infrastructure, uh, which I think CIOs and CISOs are traditionally very good about. I think the second part, potentially the heavier lift, is that there is an, an ongoing need for awareness to the entire workforce uh, around what these attacks look like and how fraud and spoofing take place, how malware and, uh, and, and phishing attacks manifest, and, and make everyone aware that not only is the frequency of these attacks increasing, but also the complexity, and to have very clear protocols and channels under which to report any suspicious activity uh, as, as this isn't going to slow down over the next year. Yeah, and that's the thing. Uh, the research also points out that there seems to be a kind of dearth in, in available and qualified cybersecurity professionals to help out. What do you think are some of the kind of short and long-term fixes to, to this problem? Yeah, so for the first time in uh, in the history of the survey, uh, cyber professionals are now the top uh, resource in need and and uh, in demand. And, and I think that uh, two things have changed. Uh, one, because the attack surface has grown so significantly, there there just isn't enough capacity inside organizations to continuously monitor, react to threats, and 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 do the proactive work on the perimeter. So there's a need for that. I think the context of what type of security engineer is needed has also changed. And now because we're seeing a lot more cloud-based engineers, traditional infrastructure engineers aren't as, uh, aren't as relevant. And so those skills that are needed are cloud, data, architecture, integration. And, and again, so this is a new generation of cyber um, professional uh, that is going to have to be able to be grown uh, internally, so upskilled, as well as, you know, there, there's going to be a need for more external partners to be brought in uh, to the organization until this bridge can be gapped. Uh, and, and I think that for most um, organizations, it's going to take the next year or two to both reskill and scale the type of cyber professionals that are needed. Yeah, and, and one of the things we've written about quite a lot in the last kind of six months is, is the push and pull between needing to upgrade tech to deal with kind of spiking demand internally and externally, and also having stretched budgets with which to do so. I mean, do you have any insight over whether IT departments or the C-suite are kind of winning those arguments? Yeah, so again, look at the, the spike in spending, and, and I consider that, you know, in many respects, a one-time event, right, an unplanned for one-time event, but the implications of that uh, in infusion of, of billions of dollars is going to be an increase in the OPEX run budget, and I think there'll be a lot of CFOs in the next year that are going to be challenging or certainly reviewing closely the, the run budget of the enterprise. And I think that the CIOs will be challenged to, as much as possible, contain those costs, run that, run a lead enterprise as they always have. But there's going to be, uh, there's going to be some very significant challenges. And I think that the CIO that is able to clearly articulate what next generation capabilities are needed so that the company can thrive in this more digitally connected world 
will be more successful than those that are, again, trying to do IT for IT investments and, uh, and keep the lights on. So I think it's a matter of being very clear on the articulation of value, demonstrating success quickly along the way, and then making sure that for legacy or fixed capacity, that you're taking that out of the estate and replacing it with variable um, or as a service capacity. Okay, and and similarly, it's it's kind of one of those um, eternal questions. But but do you get a sense of how things have changed in terms of do does the current landscape fortune those uh, does fortune favor those kind of smaller, more flexible firms that can double down on digital investment or target particular problems through the crisis, or will it be those those bigger companies with existing clients and historic scale? Will they kind of ultimately weather the storm better? It's definitely a, a tale of, of two cities in this respect. As you said, large enterprises, because of their capacity and the, just the scale under which they work, they, they are able to weather these, uh, these challenges more effectively in general. That being said, they are also often slower to respond and react to different uh, trends in the market, which, of course, we have seen a whole-scale shift in, in consumer uh, behaviors in, in all industries. So uh, the, the ability to be agile, move quickly, be adaptive, often favors the smaller firms and their structures. However, uh, many of those smaller firms do, do not have access to the type of reserves of capital. And, and, and in many cases, that is what's needed, is this, this uh, ability to not just move quickly, but to, to fuel and fund innovation and fund the, the kind of digital backbone that most organizations are going to need going forward. So I think, it, I think it has a lot to do with, do you have dry powder to be able to invest? And if you do, do you have the ability to move quickly enough in your operating model changes to uh, be relevant in the market? Okay, and and as so much of what's going on is kind of unprecedented, uh, how does a company like KPMG advise its clients on how to survive and, and thrive through such an uncertain period? I think the very first thing to understand is this this is not a homogeneous story. You know, I think traditionally uh, you would see in, in previous challenges or disruptions that across sectors, you know, all boats rose and, and, and fell together. And that's not the case here. And what we're seeing is clearly an economic recovery pathway that is, that is varied for different types of organizations. I think the very first thing we advise clients to do is understand what type of economic recovery pattern your company is facing. And we, we again, we see an alphabet soup of recovery patterns out there. You hear about them a lot, you know, L's and V's and W's and, and uh, different types of, of patterns. And, and I think the reaction to, if you're going to go through a hard reset and search for a new viable business model, your drivers are a lot around cost and a lot of efficiency and making hard choices on what must stay and what must go. Where if you're in an organization that is surging and, and benefiting from the changes in consumer behavior, you're all about investing in scale and moving quickly and getting business insights around consumer behaviors. So first step, understand what type of economic recovery pattern your company is facing, 
prioritize based on that. And then I think secondly, it's you're going to have to be laser focused on being able to run at market speed and close that gap between the digital leaders and, and everyone else. And again, the, the digital leaders are a small portion of the total population, but again, they disproportionately outperform by double digits in nearly every single meaningful business measure. And so I think you have to make permanent steps towards getting on that cloud-enabled backbone, getting more dynamic investment processes as opposed to very static, linear um, budget and planning and forecasting. You've got to elevate treating data as a most critical asset. Stop talking about it and start actually doing it through re-architecting your data supply chain and investing in more capabilities and analytics. And I think shifting over to modern delivery practices at scale, you know, stop dabbling with Agile and DevOps and step into that for the portfolios needed. And then lastly, it's you've got to be thinking through that, that workforce, getting that more dynamic, flexible workforce that allows you to shift your resources and make them more fungible and scalable across your entire supplier ecosystem. So these are, these are just a few of the many things that CIOs are faced with right now. But, you know, first and foremost, be great at ruthless prioritization. Figure out what recovery pattern you're in and what's most important to the business and then apply the kind of principles I just talked about. Okay, that makes sense. And another thing that the research touched on, and also we've, we've been writing an awful lot about recently, is kind of rising cloud adoption in financial services. As, as it seems, kind of the last six months have been a pretty effective large-scale kind of use case for, for the effectiveness of um, uh, cloud uh, storage. Is there any particular kind of provider or, or type of cloud infrastructure that's getting more popular? Yeah, you've seen a, a massive surge in uh, you know multi-cloud, and 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 we and we certainly see that going to continue. Um, a, a complex hybrid multi-cloud environment, I think, is in the cards for most organizations over the next several years. Um, I think that we're, we're still a, a couple of years away from organizations really being cloud native. Um, so a hybrid model is going to continue to exist. And as you said, there's a there's a there's a large span. I think at the infrastructure layer, hypercloud providers reached critical mass even before the pandemic. I think all they've done is, is scale since then. Um, what was interesting out of the report was on the SaaS layer, especially the enterprise SaaS layer, where we've seen an explosion of the enterprise SaaS companies uh, growing quickly. And, and these are these are, you know, traditionally where objections came out of the, you know, the corporate offices, like, that, you know, putting our ERP in the cloud. Is that, is that a good choice? Is that um, viable from a security and a data protection perspective? Would it, will it help us uh, be able to integrate with all the other on-prem applications we have? We've seen that objection now just fall away and massive adoption of cloud-based ERP is underway. Same with replatforming around, um, uh, relationship management, sales and marketing, uh, even just core operations are getting enterprise class cloud tools in now. So I, that jump that we've seen this year, I expect that will continue uh, a lot more. And then I think the last piece is that, you know, cloud adoption for low and no code platforms is going to explode as well over the next year. 
And you're seeing that right now with a lot of basic automation tools, um, with um, application modernization tooling, and these platforms that you can put in the hands of basic business analysts and practitioners to create and integrate, you know, applications that create value quickly is, is uh, you know, remarkably powerful to, to put that technology in the hands of value creators. So cloud across all of the delivery models, I ask past staff, we're going to continue to see that grow. Um, again, hybrid, complex, multi-cloud, especially operating the infrastructure layer, is is going to be a fact. And I think a lot of CIOs have to be you know, coming to terms with that. How am I going to operate successfully and securely in a much more complicated architecture? Yeah, and now I'm aware it's a, it's a hard time to kind of accurate. Uh, forecast accurately, but um, do you care to make any predictions as to kind of what we're going to find in, in, in next year's survey? I mean, maybe kind of which sectors or types of company are, are, are better prepared for what's ahead? Yeah, I think going back to that discussion we were having around the uh, patterns of recovery, so that the types of organizations that you're offering seeing right now that are surging and growing rapidly uh, in this environment around life life sciences, um, uh, consumer goods, uh, tech and media. I think that will continue uh, as, 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 again, they fuel the shift to being technology and product-centric organizations and, and, and frankly take advantage of what we see in the next year to be a pretty hot um, merger and acquisition market. There's going to be deals to be had. There's going to be moves to be made to, to both secure market share, uh, but to also grow it and by acquiring uh, some distressed assets. So I think we'll see more of that this next year. Um, I, I think that the organizations that are well on their way um, through adopting both digital and emerging tech solutions are going to continue to keep their foot on the accelerator, creating that digital divide. So I think you'll see uh, platforms like AI and automation, uh, cognitive, you'll see those things scale quickly. As I said, no code, low code will scale quickly. The organizations that are prepared to um, onboard that and scale it quickly are just simply going to be at a better competitive advantage to, to everyone else in their sector. And I, and I do think that there will be um, some pretty significant challenges to budget this coming year. Uh, again, the, the infusion of capital to, to stabilize the early end of the crisis, I think that's largely passed. Um, and the question will be, is this sustainable from a cost perspective? So, so look for CFOs uh, to be having those hard discussions with the CIO around the cost of the estate and then the hard decisions being made around what are good costs like cloud, like digital transformation versus legacy costs, uh, especially around uh, underutilized applications, uh, underutilized or low preventing um, sourcing partners or vendors. Um, and what are the, the trade-offs that need to be made to move the organization forward as opposed to continue to operate? So I think it's, we're up for a very interesting year next year and, you know, where a lot has changed, you know, at the same time, a lot has stayed the same. The imperatives are the same, um, where the CIOs still have to be able to be operating a highly effective um, uh, engine room, 
but increasingly they have got to uh, to deal with investments that are much more around architecting the future as opposed to running the estate for today. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Now we're we're recording this before the report is released. So what we'll do is is, is post a link to the to the report on on this podcast page. Um, but I, if if um, is, is there any anything else you'd kind of like to mention or, or places you'd like to point our listeners, Steve? Yeah, I think the report is is one of the most compelling in recent years, just just due to the nature of the pre-COVID and post-COVID findings. Um, I think some of the additional findings that the, your listeners will will find interesting is is particularly around the digital leaders and what they're doing differently. And as you explore the report, they, they, they're very focused on the uh, leverage of data in their core strategy. And, uh, and I think that some of the findings there that are most interesting are around how advanced um, data management tactics have become um, and that there is a, a, a real understanding of data as an asset for digital leaders. And it's creating very different structures different ways to govern and different ways to manage data, uh, whereas the literacy and efficacy of, of other organizations still is, in many respects, is very nascent or siloed with, with, with data. But I think that's one thing that um, a lot of organizations need to pay particular attention to. And then I think the other part that's interesting is that uh, we, we continue to see CIOs, um, uh, their, their membership in the board and the management committee uh, come down. It's been under reducing stress over the last several years. I think it's at its lowest point uh, in the last 10 years. Uh, but the interesting thing is uh, most CIOs are saying that's fine because we're more influential than we've ever been before. And I see that true uh, in the market every day. And CIOs are trading titles for influence and impact on the uh, on the enterprise. And I think COVID has given them an opportunity to become much more permanently influential leaders in the organization uh, if they can continue to stay urgent and provide insights and architect the future. Um, I think the, the CIO path is very bright for the, for the next several years, even if they're not sitting on the board. Yeah, okay. Well, look, we'll, we'll have to have you back on next year to kind of um, debate some of these things again to see see what came right and, 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 and what's changed. But um, all that remains for me to do is to, to thank you for your time, Steve. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the FS Tech Podcast.